All right. How many of you ready for the word of God this morning? If you would take your Bibles out, turn with me to the gospel of Luke chapter five. I'm excited to share this morning's message. It's just going to kind of seamlessly flow with, with the two themes that I hear this morning. I, I, I loved when we were all together without anyone having to manipulate you or twist your arm. I, I love that we all got to a place of humility a moment ago in worship where we were just saying, Lord, I need you. How many of you know that's a great place to be in? Your place of need may not be my place of need. My place of need may not be your place of need. But don't get it twisted. We all have a place of need. And, and I love that this morning there's another reoccurring theme where we're talking about God's heart to reach lost people. God's heart to reach lost people. God doesn't only want to reach lost people. God wants to reach those of us who have been reached before. It's not a one and done thing. That's a, that's a fallacy. That's a, that's a bad thought in Christianity that leads people into a lot of religion. It's not one and done. Luke chapter 5, verses 27 through 32. And again, I'm going to read this out of the New Living Translation. It says this, Later, as Jesus, Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. Now, anybody with any Bible knowledge, you know that tax collectors in, in this day were notoriously known to be sinners. Can anybody answer me why? Because of what? Because of what? Okay, the tax collectors were imposing a tax on the Jewish people for the Romans, but would oftentimes, as happens to all of us when money's involved, they would impose a little bit more tax so they could do what with the money? <laughs> they could steal a little, they were skimming the, skimming the teal. So in, in this day and age, if you were a tax collector, man, you had a bad reputation. He had a bad reputation. You, you were just basically saying he's a thief. He's a sinner. He's no good. He's not only hurting his own people. He's not only imposing. He's Jewish and he's imposing a tax on the Jewish people for their puppet masters, the Roman. But he's stealing on top of it, making our burdens worse. He's a sinner. Later, as Jesus left the town, he saw a notorious sinner. Some translations say a man by the name of Levi. Does anybody know who Levi actually is in the gospel? He's the writer of Matthew. He is Matthew, the tax collector. He's the gospel writer. He saw Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth, and he says to this sinner, this notorious sinner, he says what the heart of God is. Quit sinning. Come and follow me. Be my disciple. Jesus said to him, so Levi the tax collector Matthew got up, watch this, left everything and followed him. Now, now, Pop, I, I'm just going to deal, I'm going to use you because we're very close. And, and you're an elder here and, and you're on staff here. And, and, and you said something in staff meeting Tuesday that was, that was, um, it was big for our staff. It was unscripted, unprompted. We, we were talking about some scriptures in the book of First Peter when our staff was doing Bible study this week. And, and you mentioned that in the first seven verses, Peter refers to, the apostle Peter refers to his salvation as being ongoing. That, that he wasn't one and done saved, but that he was still in the process of being saved. Now, for those of you that love theology and love the deep things of God, this is an orthodox church's approach to salvation. All right, just listen with me. God created time. You know time in three ways, past, present, and future. But the Bible says he's the God that was, that is, and is to come, that God somehow simultaneously exists in all three tenses at once. Do you know why? Because God created time. He's not confined by time. He's not measured by time. You say, what does that got to do with my salvation? That's very simple because you were saved. <laughs> you are being saved. <laughs> and glory, hallelujah, one day you'll be saved. <laughs> God was there when you surrendered your heart. He's operating with you daily when you still need his salvation. <laughs> 
And one day when we hear those words, good and faithful servant, enter into the kingdom, we will be saved. Pop mentioned that in the process of ongoing salvation, whoo, that outside stuff. I remember sharing with a young lady the other day, I just met her for the first time and she was like, all I really need to do, I just gotta get off vape and stop cussing. And I was like, sweetie, I just want you to know, when you get off the vape and you stop cussing, the real ball game's gonna begin then. I just left it at that and she, come, she came back, she said, I'm just an inquisitive person. What, what do you mean the real ball game's got, what do you mean? And I said, listen to me, honey, that exterior stuff that everybody sees, that's the easy stuff. It's the hidden woman of your heart. It's the hidden man of your heart. It's your pride, it's your arrogance, it's your lust, it's your passion, it's your desires, it's your greed, it's your deception. That inner man that no one else knows except you and the Lord. <laughs> Welcome to the big leagues then. <laughs> Welcome to the big leagues then. Pop made this statement on, on Sunday, I mean on Tuesday in our staff meeting, that we are still in the process of being saved. Still in the process of being saved. It says, it says, and we are kept for salvation through the faith that we exemplify, that we walk out, that we work out, that, that it's our faith, it's the activities of how we act and how we respond. It is keeping us for the salvation that one day God will give us. That's a very orthodox approach. It's scary to the Calvinist in the world, five-point Calvinist that would say, once saved, always saved, eternal security, one and done. Bible has aspects written like that, but the Bible also has aspects, different verses written like this. Both are true at the same time. They all tell you the total picture. From God's point of view, you were saved. From man's point of view to God, you're being saved. Mic drop for you right there. However, what we see here, because you're thoroughly lost with Levi, the tax collector, is a cookie cutter version of what discipleship looks like when it's done perfect. Hey, you notorious sinner, come follow me. And that heart so yields and responds that it drops everything that it's doing, walks away from the old life that it was in of sin and follows Jesus from there on out. Now, would anybody in here deny that's not the best? If, 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 if you could say to your old life, whatever it was, he calls you and you say, I'm out. That's the best. <laughs> How many of you have lived a different experience? <laughs> I'm just making sure I'm preaching to the right people today. My experience, now listen, cocaine in my arm, IV addiction, 19 years old, <laughs> altar, filled with the Holy Spirit, asked God to take that. Whew, so glad he took that one, one and done. But there have been other issues throughout the journey of my Christianity that have not been so one and done. My thought life, my emotions, you know, come on, let's just be real today. This is a safe place. What this passage does, though, is fool those of us that are Christian, that are saved, into thinking everybody's discipleship conversion is going to be cookie cutter. And this so grieves my heart because I know that discipleship is not cookie cutter. It's not perfect. It's not on my timetable or on my timeline. Can, can I just break it to you? I'm not talking to your neighbor. I'm not talking to the person in front of you. Behind. I'm a little disappointed in how Christian you really are. <laughs> you. And you in the same spirit could say, well, I'm just a little disappointed you got all them tattoos. I'm just a little disappointed how Christian you, I'm working out my salvation. <laughs> and so are you. <laughs> you ain't where I think you should be and I probably ain't where you think I should be. <laughs> See how dangerous that slippery slope is? There's gotta be a different perspective and I'm gonna show it to you here from the Bible. It is and it's a perspective we all need to adopt at Oaks Church. It's the Savior's perspective. Whew, it's difficult. You start putting people in those crosshairs, ask Pastor Rana, I say it's easy when you got them in your crosshairs, it's difficult when they got your grandchildren in theirs. I'm always careful, I won't say his name, but a pastor in town, I remember he was dealing with a very difficult situation with his daughters. And the Lord told me prophetically then, how you deal with this man in this situation, I will make sure you are handled the same way. 
And I dealt with that man graciously and lovingly as he dealt with an issue with his daughters because guess what? I got daughters today. And I got good seed in the ground. God's going to deal with me the same way. So don't be fooled when you're looking at my boy John Grigson and say, oh, he got it. And it's all good now. John, is it all good now? Huh? What, what am I going to tell you every week? The best is yet to come. Put your roots downward, like Jeremiah said, so you can bear fruit upwards. Deep roots, new heights here at Oaks Church. We're going to preach the truth, baby, and preach it powerfully. But we're going to give grace to you in the moments when you need it. But John will come and say, it ain't good. It ain't, it ain't. I don't know if I still, I say, don't let go of that plow, John. Don't let go of that plow. Here go my boy. <laughs> Chad, that was verse one. <laughs> I'll be back. <laughs> he sent me a message after a few weeks ago. He said, I'm getting older. I have to use the bathroom more frequently now. <laughs> Later. Check this out. Now, this guy, notorious sinner, gets called to follow Jesus. He gives us this cookie-cutter model of what it means to convert and become a disciple overnight. Everything falls in line. I don't know if you, if you follow what I'm saying with the left everything. Has Jesus ever called you to leave everything? I mean, he called me to leave addiction. He called me to leave Minnesota. Matter of fact, he called me to leave West Monroe one time. I mean, I've, I have heard God call me, but God's never said to me like he said to the rich young ruler, give up everything you have, sell everything you have. What if the demand of your discipleship from the Savior, not from me, from him, he said to you, give it all up. Most people think their first identity is white. Most people think their first identity is black. Most people think their first identity is American. Most people think their first identity is Democratic or Republican or male or female. Can I tell you, the minute you surrender your life to Jesus, your first identity is Christian. How I process everything in this world has to be through God's kingdom, not through my ethnicity, not through my nationality, not through my gender. My first allegiance, Caleb, is to the kingdom of God. And if God's kingdom says to me, give it all up, then I'm going to be in one heck of a tug-of-war wrestling match trying to wrestle with surrendering to the kingdom I belong to first. I, I don't know if I would be able to do it the way that Levi did it. He gave up his job. He gave up his form of income. He gave up his livelihood. I, did he have a wife? Did he have kids? Is he a deadbeat dad? Is, 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 are they looking for him now? Did she file charges? Does he have to go to the court? Is he behind on child support? I don't know. But he just left it all. What if God called us to leave? It's easy to leave things when you hate it. It's easy to leave bad relationships when they're broken. It's easy to walk away from dead-end jobs. It's easy to get out of relationships that are dysfunctional. But when you love something, when it's your precious, when it's your fulfillment and your joy, it's hard when God comes in and says, give it up. Oh, God, I was okay with this because it was destructive. I don't know. I really like this now. Are you sure? Sure, God. I don't know if I, I could have done this, but here's what I love about Levi. Man, this trips me out. What's happened with the kingdom of God? What's happened with the church? Later, Levi says, I'm so happy about giving up everything and this Savior that I found, let's have a party. And he turns his house into a banquet hall and says, hey, all of my sinner friends, come meet a man. And he held Jesus as the guest of honor at the banquet. And many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests came and they ate with them. How many times have we made this statement? Oh, I would never eat with them. Oh, I would never eat with them. Never share a meal with them. <laughs> but the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law, uh oh, you know what's about to get interesting now. They complained bitterly behind Jesus' back to other people on the fringes, Jesus' disciples. Check this out. And said, why does he eat and drink with such scum? 
Number one, Jesus was eating. Number two, Jesus was drinking. Number three, he was eating and drinking with sinners. Didn't say Jesus was sinning. Didn't say Jesus was becoming like them. Tells us Jesus loved them enough to meet them where they're at to help them get from where they're at to where they're going to. Jesus answered, they weren't even talking to Jesus, but he knows, he's God. He says, listen, you morons, healthy people don't go to the doctor. Sick people do. And I don't know if you understand why God the Father sent me the word made flesh from heaven, but I didn't come to call those who suppose or think they're righteous. I came to call those who know they're sinners and they need to repent. Father, I pray you would help me today to preach your word accurately in an inspiring way that would bring growth and change to every sinner and every saint's heart in this place. In your precious name, amen and amen. You know, as I was sharing with the staff this week, what I thought I may name this message, I sent some uh, text messages out to, to some staff members that usually have some creative thought, and I was like, look, I need a counterculture, upside down, off the wall sermon idea title for this message, and uh, I sent it out, and, and everybody just kept coming back lame. Everybody was like, I don't know, sinner's dinner. Uh, I mean, they, they were throwing me, and then, and then finally it, it, it dawned on me that, you know, what we were dealing here was basically a table setting with sinners and saints and a Savior. Sinners, saints, and a Savior. And then I got to share with the staff later on this week that actually, and I didn't even do an in-depth study. Like, I didn't even do an exhaustive study. I'm just, just being honest. I kind of did a little bit of a topical study. I found out that Jesus had this type of conversation that I'm about to have with you today, the great people of Oaks Church, many times throughout his earthly life and ministry. I don't mean once. How many times did Jesus talk about sexual sin? Just, just go study that. How many times did Jesus talk about money? You're going to be shocked. He actually talked about money more than he talked about anything. How many times did Jesus talk about hell? How many times did Jesus talk about sin? I mean, just, just do a study on some of this. The numbers will enlighten many of our hearts that don't think Jesus addressed some of these things. But I can tell you, because I read and study the Bible and have for 20-something years now, Jesus has this conversation repetitively. Here's, here's some facts for you. Matter of fact, this passage of Scripture is mentioned in three different Gospels. The Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all mention the account of when Matthew the tax collector, the sinner who references numbers and money more in his Gospels because he understood numbers, he understood counting, he understood money, they all tell this story how Jesus found this notorious sinner and he walks by him on the road and he says, hey, God's getting ready to change your destiny give up everything and come follow me and be my disciple. And I don't know if it's because Matthew was having a bad day. I don't know if he was down in the dumps. I don't know if he had seen down the road of his future and it wasn't all that bright. I don't know if his heart was actually hungry and aching for something more fulfilling in life. But for whatever reason, all three gospels say that Matthew gave up everything he had that day and he walked away and he came to follow Jesus. Thank God for it. This conversation has been around for a very long time. I know a personally, like just off the top of my head, 10 different times in the gospel that Jesus has to have this convo. Levi, three different times. I just showed you all three synoptic gospel. What about the woman who we know is Mary Magdalene with the woman with the alabaster box? She's a prostitute. She's a woman that Jesus has driven out seven demons. She hears that Jesus is eating at the Pharisees and the Sadducees home and she's the bravest of all women in the New Testament because she didn't even go into a friendly environment to found Jesus. She went into a hostile, cynical, critical environment and began to lay down in his feet, wipe his feet with the tears that fell from her eye with her hair and break this alabaster box when everybody starts critiquing her. We could have sold that. We could have done. Even Jesus' own disciples. And Jesus says, listen, do you not understand you supposed saints? These are the sinners. 
that I came for. You didn't wash my hands or my feet. She's not stopped washing my hands or my feet. You didn't offer me anything when I came into this house and she's offered me her entire life. Let her give her alabaster box on me. Let her anoint me for my burial. And every time this gospel's told for centuries to come, her story will be remembered that she's the person and the people that I came for. Then I think about this other account besides Levi or Mary Magdalene and the alabaster box. I think about uh, the, the two men that are going up in the hour of prayer. And one is a Pharisee and he prays this big high and lofty prayer. We're going to talk about that. And then one's a wretched sinner and he won't even lift his eyes. He's crawling into the temple, wouldn't even glance and glare towards heaven to lift his eyes to talk to God. And Jesus turns around and says, I tell you, this religious man went away condemned and this sinner went away justified because their hearts were in different places of humility when they approached the presence of God with their needs. One didn't need me and one did. Then I think about this other, which is probably one of my personal favorites, um, the stories that follow in Luke chapter 15. Again, this conversation, my friends, sinners, supposed saints, and a saviors is as old as the gospel itself. When Jesus started preaching this message, immediately what started happening is people that thought they had it all together immediately began to look down and condemn people that didn't. This was a hallmark of his ministry and Jesus tried to clarify it from day one. Ten different times I've shown you right now it's mentioned and I'm sure I could find more. I've just determined in my heart here at Oaks Church, we're going to have the right heart here. We're going to have the right understanding. This is a matter we are going to get right. We are going to have the heart of God on reaching lost people. And I am going to help you do that today. Number one, I want you to put this on the screens and I want you to never, ever, ever forget it. Jesus came for sinners. Somebody say that with me. Jesus came for sinners. Jesus came for sinners. Listen to me. Jesus didn't come for the church of God. Jesus didn't come for the Episcopalians. Jesus didn't come for the Amish. Jesus didn't come for the Baptists. Jesus didn't come for the Pentecostals. Jesus didn't come for the Assemblies of God. Jesus didn't come for the Church of God in Christ Koji. Jesus came to save filthy, wretched sinners who needed a Savior. Luke chapter 5 verse 27 tells us that story explicitly. Jesus is leaving town. He saw a man who had a bad reputation for being a sinner, being a thief. And Jesus looks at him and says, I accept your challenge, bad boy. Come and follow me and learn of me. Take my yoke upon you. My burden is easy. My yoke is light. And I will make you my disciple. That's how Jesus calls a lost and a hurting and a broken world. He's not scared of you or your issues. We have to remember, Jesus came for sinners. But here's what I've always seen when Jesus begins to save lost people. Religious people begin to complain about the clientele Jesus reaches. The religious begin to complain about the clientele of who Jesus reaches. And you know why I have discovered that is? Because it's a process. It's a process. The religious don't mind if one week you come in, have an experience, and walk out and walk back in the next week, and you put on your plastic smile, your exterior facade, change your makeup, change your clothes, change your life, change your social media, change your Facebook, and now pretend to be further down the road than you really are. What I've discovered is God is patient, God is loving, and if you don't have a revelation, an understanding of why you're making changes in your life, it will inevitably become a catastrophe and you will cast off those restraints. I have made personal decisions in my life not to be a part of some things, but I have done them out of personal revelation and personal conviction. If I try to superimpose my convictions on Finley that doesn't understand why in the Lord's name I would want to do that, she will one day grow up and turn from that, run from that, and say, my daddy tried to make me do that. I never heard that from God. 
I have discovered that it's better for me to be loving and patient with you while you're still practicing certain things, doing certain things, posting certain things, while you're still working out your salvation till you're getting to that place. It's better for me to love you and walk with you through that process. It's more healthy. It's more scriptural in hopes of one day you getting there, Ryan Evans, in hopes of you, Jeffrey DeMoss, one day, in hopes of you, John Skipworth, in hopes of you, just fill in the blank, watching you have God build a foundation in your life that can actually sustain you and keep you where God's trying to take you versus you pretending to be somewhere you're not and the house of cards all come crashing down in two weeks or two months. Which one's more dangerous? How do do we want to set people up here? I, I think I would rather set you up to be slow and patient with you on your process while God's building under you what needs to be built. Even if I don't like everything you do until then, you won't like everything I do until then. Versus, versus me try to pretend to be something to you I'm not, and you try to pretend to be something to me I'm not, you're not, and then all of our stuff comes crashing down. It's a process. Religious people don't like that it's a process. Religious people feel like, I got it, you should get it. I'm there, you be there. I change, you change. I can't dance, you can't dance. I can't have no fun no more, you can't have no fun no more. I walk around mad all the time, you gotta be mad. I look like I was weaned on a dill pickle, you walk around looking like you was weaned on a dill pickle. (laughs) And wonder why your small group's not growing. Wonder why nobody signed up for your event. Wonder why nobody came to your women's Bible study. Religious people complain about the clientele Jesus reaches because it takes time. It's a process. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law, they started complaining bitterly. Not to Jesus. They would go around the outskirts. They would go talk to people. They would stir up stuff. Wolves are always feeding on flesh. Other people's drama. Other people's failures. Other people's meat. They need the blood to stay alive. Why is he out there drinking? Why is he out there? Why is he out there hanging with him? Why is he? I don't know. I heard something this morning. Silliest thing I ever heard. I ain't gonna say it right now because everybody's gonna know who I'm talking about that I talked to about it. I heard this morning somebody said, "Why they moved on?" Because they and they told me why, and I said, "Lord, I hate you left, but if you left over that, bye." Because I. Because I have no desire to go back to where you want me to go in order to make you come back. Nope. None whatsoever. Let's all please remember discipleship is a process. Now, I'm about to give you a nugget. It's a process, and it's oftentimes a messy one. Does anybody in here got kids? Does anybody in here have one kid? Oh, I remember when we had Finley, and Finley is a handful. She acts just like Brooke. Just like my mom came over this week and kept our kids. And when she gave our kids back, she said, you were in trouble. That kid acts just like Brooke. <laughs> Lord, don't take your anointing because I'm lying in the pulpit right now. <laughs> my mom gave them kids back to Brooke and said, holy smoke. She said, them other two are sweet, but that oldest one, just like my son, John, you got your hands full. <clears throat> you got one kid and, and it's like, the, the pastor fire falls, it's like, oh, let me go boil this in water, wipe it down with a sanitary wipe, and get the little plug covers and the rubber this and the gate. You have two kids, and it's like, oh, God, now we're both, okay, split, divide and conquer. You take one, I'll take one. And by the time you get three kids, you're just playing prevent. It's like, hey, don't run out in the street. It's like, whoa, it's like, oh, all the, I used to, don't touch the walls, don't leave your shoes. Now I'm like, don't get hit by a car. It just changes things. It's, it's so overwhelming. There's so much to keep up with. What, I have, what I'm saying to you is I've discovered being a parent that raising kids means there's going to be messes. We moved to Minnesota and Brooke bought this. I mean this. This is the fanciest tan, brown, low back, modern couch. I was like, man, this, I will have this couch in love seat when I die. This is... Does anybody want a couch in a love seat? I will, it's four years old. I will give it to you. My kids have destroyed it. My, 
I was like, this is so beautiful. This is the coolest thing. You could put this in a magazine. It's gone now. Chips, ramen noodles, rice. They lay down. Chris, Pastor Chris does BGMC in the back. He's like, oh, we've raised $3,000. Yeah, you want to know why? My kids steal all the money out of my pockets. They steal money out of the couch. They steal money out of Brooks' purse. He's not teaching those kids to raise money for missions. He's teaching those kids to steal. They go get all them quarters, all them niggas. They just, I, I go in there, Skittles everywhere, M&Ms everywhere, highlighter marks. I'm like, Brooke, who wrote on this couch? And she's like, got some kind of spray clean. And now it's got one big yellow spot in the middle of it that don't match anything else. Kids are messy. You do know I'm not talking about kids, right? I'm talking about God's kids. I'm talking about you. It's messy. Discipleship is messy. It's not cookie cutter. It's not a carbon copy. It's not a blueprint. I want you to go forward. God wants you to go forward. He wants you to mature. I want to help you mature, but I've discovered you're going to fall like the dog that goes back to its vomit. You may go back like the pig that goes back to the mire, like the children that continue to make messes that you and I have the common sense. It was better not to make. Sometimes sheep, people, we you do dumb things. Man. <laughs> and what I'm saying is I've gotten older and I love you still. Don't agree with you. Listen, the basis of our relationship does not have to be we agree on all things. Guess what? There's not one of you in here. You want me to split up every married couple in here right now? Give me five minutes. I can put a wedge in between all of them. Y'all don't agree on everything. No, you do not. You think you do. And if you make our cohabitation, our relationship, our getting on together, as the English would say, if you make that the basis for doing life together, us agreeing on everything, you're going to do life alone because you won't agree with anybody on all the things ever. I don't have to agree with you on it. You don't have to believe in the millennial reign. You don't have to believe pre-tribulation rapture. Lord, I'm not even sure my wife believes in a rapture because she grew up under a pepaw telling her we all going to go through Hades. You want to see me and Brooke fight more? She was like, I was at Point Assembly. My granddaddy brought in this time chart. We were little. He scared all of us to death. I'm not sure any of those kids even go to church anymore. He was telling us about the rapture and the seven-headed beast, and we were little. She was like, so don't come in here telling me about no, about no pre-tribulation. God's going to get us out of here. And we gonna, I'm like, yes, we are. She's like, I don't believe that. My granddaddy said different. I said, well, I'm your husband now, and I don't care what your granddaddy said. This is what the Bible says. She said, that may be what the Bible says to you. Ain't what it says to me, because my granddaddy said different. I said, okay, all right, never mind. You follow me? Sometimes, parents, your kids are going to do things you don't agree with. At no point in time would the father's heart ever be different than continuing to love them. Sometimes your family members are going to make decisions that they feel are right, that you can see the holes in their logic like Swiss cheese, but at no time would the heart of God for you to ever not be at a place of, I still love you, I don't agree with you, I won't support you in that, but I love you and I'm for you and I'm waiting on you to come home for reconciliation. I want to continue to support you. It's a life message right here. I love this. Check this out. Jesus goes and dines with these sinners. He, he shares a meal with them. It didn't say an email. It, it didn't send them an email and say, this is where I'm at. It didn't send them a text message. This is where I'm at. It says, let's sit down and talk about it. Let, 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 let's not work this out to be friends. Let's work this out because we are friends. See, see the difference? What, what, if you can come in agreement with where I'm at on this issue, where I stance, and I'll be your friend. You're going to be lonely in life. Say, hey, I'm your friend. Let's talk about this. Let's work on this. It may not be a one and done. It may not be a one coffee. It may not be a one session. It may not be a one year. As a matter of fact, you may do things different than I agree, but I'm still going to love you and support you, try to help you. Jesus goes and dines with this house full 
of people with bad reputations. I think what Jesus is telling us is the discipleship process, which is messy, it can sometimes take a while. You all know, those of you that have known me for years, know I love Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15 is one story in the Bible that tells us the heart of God over the recovery of lost possessions. Luke 15 tells us there's a lady that lost a coin and she does all of this stuff so she can recover her coin and then there's rejoicing. Then it tells us about the lost sheep, the 99 and the one, and it tells us about the heart of God and the angels of heaven when the one comes home rejoicing. Then it tells us this story about two sons, one sinner and one saint. And in that story, we see the heart of God looking down the road, waiting for the prodigal to come home, come out, get out of the pig pen. But at the same time, the self-righteous older brother who believes he's never done anything wrong won't come in and celebrate, doesn't know how to rejoice. And the same father with the same loving heart that was looking for the lost brother goes out and goes to the older, self-righteous, legalistic, critical, cynical older brother and compels him to come back in and celebrate as well. It's the same Savior's heart towards both persons, sinner and saint. But I want to show you how that passage starts. Luke, Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. They're going to put this on the screens. I'm, I'm just showing you this is over and over and over and over again in the Bible. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. <laughs> Sounds just like Oaks Church. <laughs> Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. Now, I'm not saying I'm Jesus. I'm just saying some jacked up folks come here on Sundays, and I'm one of them. Amen. This made the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law mad. They're complaining. How in the world could he associate with such sinful people? Why would he dine with them, share a meal with them? I guess just mark this down as reference number 11. <laughs> I'm just showing you that Jesus' ministry of, hey, I've come because I hear there's some people with leprosy. Hey, I hear there's some people with blinded eyes. Hey, I hear there's people with dead dreams. Hey, I hear there's people with heart issues. I came for those people. And when they hear that there's hope, that there's a savior, that there's a helper, that there's a deliverer, that there's a miracle walker, that there's a water walker, that there's a way maker, that there's a mountain mover in the vicinity of their need, they always come. And the religious always get mad. We want him all to ourselves we want you to jump through the bars before you get what you get from him sorry it don't work that way because you didn't get what you got from him that way you just forgot we must remember why he came we are here for a certain purpose what are we here for we're here to reach lost people. We got to remain in step with him. We got to reach the people that Jesus loves. This is our duty. Why are we doing Reach Sunday? Because we know there's hurting, broken, messed up, jacked up people out there in this community. And that's why God put Oaks Church here to reach them and to help them. That's what we do. That's why we have Reach Sunday. Not to be in the newspaper, not to be on social media, not to give away hundreds of thousands of dollars. We do it because we believe we have a solution and an answer that really works and helps the soul. Thank you for the four of you that are still on board with the mission of Oaks Church of reaching lost people. This is our duty. It's our purpose. It's our calling as both a church and as Christians. God sent his son to reach lost people. Here's what I want to leave you with on this one thought. Give Jesus some time, saints. Give Jesus some time. He gave you some. Give Jesus some space. He gave you some. Give Jesus a place in a small group, in a worship service, in a serve team capacity. Give Jesus a place to do something in people's lives like he's done in yours. Pastor Chad, I'm gonna get you to come today and, and help me land this plane. This is only one, one thought this morning. It's only one half of the equation. I'm gonna try to go quickly here. Put number two on the screens. What was, what was thought number one? Jesus came for who? <laughs> Jesus came, just say for me. <laughs> Jesus came for me. 
Thank you, God. <laughs> Thank you, God. Number two, here, here's what I, here's, you know, I guess if you would break it down this way, wh- which crowd am I talking to with all of those first thoughts and comments? The supposed saint, the person that in their heart has let religion, good works, sobriety, time mislead them into believing they have it all together. Pastor Todd is one of the most godly men. And I'm not tooting his horn. I'm just telling you, he is one of the most godly. I'm not saying you're perfect. I'm not saying you're without fault. I'm not saying you're not human. I know you are. The minute we build anybody up like that, we're, we're setting ourselves up to be let down, including me. I love what Pastor Jeremy Foster said when, when he made his video after a year saying, hey, I, I, you know, what I did was wrong. I shouldn't have done it. But, you know, at the same time, I always pointed you to Jesus, not to man. Every time... We get man and God confused. Man lets us down and God never does. So I, I, I'm not, I just, I get to be the pastor of Oaks Church right now. I, I get to serve you. I get to love this community. I get to go out and about all over this city. I, I get to help people when they come. To, I mean, that's what I love to do. But at the same time, I'm not Jesus. I'm not God. And I don't want to be Jesus for you. He sent the Holy Spirit for you. I want you to get filled with the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit can do more for you and with you than I could ever do. But all of us, over time, start supposing we're at a place that we're, we're really not at. We just haven't had the, the spotlight or the highlight of heaven hit our issue yet. Pastor Todd's one of the most godly men that I know, humble men I know, sacrificial men I know. And when he sits in our staff meeting and says, yeah, but people don't know the ongoing struggle of my heart and of my life as I contend for my salvation weekly. That's a humble man saying, I'm still in the process. I'm not there yet. Right? Is anybody else there yet? Is anybody, if you're here, if you're there yet, I'll let you speak this morning. I'll take notes. I'm a great note taker. I promise. I'm not there yet. So I'm, I'm talking. All of my first thoughts are to the people that religion, what, what happened with Adam and Eve? Okay. And they went and did what from God? Whoever answered me, that's great. They hid. And why did they hide? Because in the presence of God, they felt their shame of nakedness. So what did they do? They sewed the tapestries of religious coverings over them to hide their nakedness. And that's what religion does. It helps us hide our nakedness in the presence of God. So God says, your covering is not sufficient. And he kills an animal and says, there is no covering for your sin without the spilling of blood. It'll take blood to cover your sin, talking about the blood of the lamb. And he gives them animals' hides to cover their new shame and nakedness. All of us sometimes can feel we're there. I've given this much. I've sown this much. I've served this much. I've been this long. You got to watch that heart, guys. Listen to me. Man, you start looking down on the very people that God sent you to labor among and to see saved. What's the most important thing here at Oaks Church? People are paramount people are our purpose don't mean people are always right don't mean we don't love you enough to tell you the truth sometimes through tears in our eyes but listen to me we've got to watch that heart that says oh they vape or they dip or they smoke or they sleep together or they when they're not here on Sunday morning what chance do you have a regional sign up for your life group when they won't sign up for your serve team then we're just all sitting around having a kumbaya with a bunch of people that think they're already saved I'm gone then you know where I'll be (laughs) down there with Matthew (laughs) said they saw 24 people come to the Lord at OCC I want to go where people know they need Jesus (laughs) amen this ain't a country club there's a couple of good country clubs in town. You can play tennis, go to the pool, play golf, do whatever. This ain't a country club. This is a church where Jesus helps sinners. All of these comments are geared towards people's heart. No, long, no matter how long you've been saved, protect your heart against people that are not where you think they should be because you're not where he thinks you should be either. But number two, there's a great emphasis on this. I, I want, physicians are meant to heal. Don't come, Jeffrey, to the presence of the physician with a bacterial infection 
pay $200 to get in, cover your copay, go fill the prescription, drive to the pharmacy, and then leave it all sitting on the counter and say, I think I'll just keep my virus. You follow what I'm saying? You, you follow what? Don't come to the physician and say, ah, I think I'll keep my sickness. I, I think I'll keep my bacterial infection. Oh, I think I'll keep my... I don't know what it is, and I don't know at what time he's going to call you to deal with it. All I'm going to do is just love you along the journey while he's talking to you. Would would any one of you go to the doctor? Let's let's say somebody needed plastic surgery. I don't know. Says you wanted to get a nose job. Just making something up. They said it's $12,000. You wrote them a $6,000 check. You went in the day of, wrote them another $6,000 check. And they said, hey, we're going to take you back. said, no, I think I don't need the nose job. Just keep the (laughs) $12,000. That's what we do when we come. Put it back up there on the screen. It's what we do when we come into the presence of the physician and say, oh, I think I'll keep my my disease. Oh, I think I'll keep my sickness. I'll keep my sin. Physicians are meant to heal. He came for a purpose. Jesus answered them. Listen, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I came to the sick people. And here is a nugget. You got to get your heart around. If your heart is at a place that says, I'm a supposed saint. I don't need anything from God. You won't get nothing from God. You can't be saved. You can't be delivered. You can't be healed because God operates by faith. And we all got issues. Sinners can be saved. Humble people can be saved. Then Jesus told this story of some who had great confidence in their own abilities and righteousness, and they looked down on and scorned everyone else. Two men went up to the temple to pray one day. One was a Pharisee. The other was a despised, notorious sinner. He was a tax collector. The Pharisee stood off way away from the people by himself, afraid he would be contaminated. He prayed this prayer, Lord God, I thank you that I'm not like those people over there, cheaters and sinners and adulterers and all this other stuff. I'm certainly not like that tax collector way down there. I fast twice a week. I give you a tenth. I give you my tithe, my income. You know, you've probably prayed a prayer like that before. But then the tax collector stood at a distance. He dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he got up the boldness to pray started beating on his chest in sorrow saying oh God be merciful to me I know I'm a sinner and I tell you Jesus said that this sinner not the Pharisees returned home justified before God listen to this statement for those who exalt themselves in the presence of God you will be humbled but those that humble themselves in the presence of God you will be exalted we all have to be aware of the conditions of our heart the conditions of our lives we all have to be aware have to have a sober-minded awareness of our needs to change. Is there anybody in here that doesn't need to make some changes? I'm here, Michael Jackson right now. I'm talking about the man in the mirror. I'm asking him to change his way. Verse 32 says it all, sums it up. I've come to call not those who think they're righteous. Suppose it saints. Woohoo! Suppose it. I came to call those that are sinners and know they're jacked up and they need to repent. The first and the greatest step for anybody in this room to take today is to humbly recognize <laughs> that we all need to be saved. Listen to me. Daily. <laughs> We all need to be saved daily. Just let me read you this story. Pastor Chad, I'm getting you back now since you're up here. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. Common thread. (laughs) Jesus went to his home. He sat down to eat. And here she came, that immoral woman. (laughs) The city had heard that he was eating there. She brought this beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. She knelt down behind him and at his feet weeping as tears fell from her eyes onto his feet she wiped them off his feet with the hair of her head she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them when the pharisees who had invited jesus saw this he said to himself if this man was really a man of god if this man was really a prophet if they were really a church if they were really doing god's business they wouldn't allow people like that to come over there they wouldn't help people like that they wouldn't let people like that serve 
he would know what kind of woman this is that's touching him. She's a wretched sinner. Then Jesus answered the religious man's thoughts. He said, Simon, say to this Pharisees, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, good teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him a story. Listen to this. A man loaned money to two different people. One, he loaned 500 pieces of silver, and the other, he loaned 50 pieces of silver. When he called an accountant for them to repay, neither of them could pay it. So the good man kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Simon, this is what I want you to ask the religious man. Who do you suppose will love that man more? Simon replied and said, oh, that's easy. I know the one that was canceled of the larger debt. Jesus said, that's right. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet. She has washed them with the tears of her eyes and wiped them with the hair of her head. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I came in, she stopped, stopped kissing my feet until now. You neglected me the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with the most costly of perfumes. I tell you the truth, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. She has shown much love because she understands she's been forgiven much. But a person who only believes they've been forgiven little will love little. Then Jesus answered and said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. See, the truth of the matter is there's two types of people in this room today, sinner and supposed saints. Everyone in here has sin, all of us. One recognizes theirs and the other is too prideful too. The truth of the matter is the same father in Luke chapter 15 represents the same God's heart we serve today as a savior that's saying, I will heal and forgive you both. If you're not careful, supposed saints will leave the presence of the Savior. Sinners? <laughs> and the sinners will leave the presence of the Savior. Saints.